As 21st century Americans who profess faith in Jesus, our churches play a very significant role in our lives. Belonging to a church offers us a sense of community and belonging. Church is a place where people rally around us when we're in trouble. It's the place where we develop our closest friendships. And unfortunately, sometimes it's the scene of our deepest hurts. The point is this. Our churches are a major contributor to the kind of people that we become. But there's something else that's happening when we attend church, something that you may not have thought about. Our church is shaping our view of Christianity. Over the years, as we listen to sermons, engage in small groups, get counsel from leaders and friends, we're developing a belief system about what it means to really be a Christian. And here's the thing, that system that we're developing could be true or it could be false. In other words, we're either being told the truth or we're being lied to. In today's episode, we're going to look at one of Satan's key strategies in the war against God's truth, infiltrating the church with false teachers. So this is the 11th episode in our series, Babylon, the seat of Satan's power. By now we've seen that Satan is working relentlessly to unite mankind in rebellion against God. But how will he do it? What are his strategies? Obviously, if we tried to identify all of them, we'd have to delve into the realm of speculation. But one thing we know for sure, the destruction of the church has always been one of his foremost goals. We have seen evidences of Satan's hostility toward the people of God throughout the centuries, as Christians have suffered many withering attacks and persecution from various evil regimes. But Jesus and his apostles repeatedly warned that Satan would employ a far more subtle and devastating strategy in his war against Christendom. They prophesied in no uncertain terms that deceivers would arise from inside the church and lead many astray. They described these false teachers in some of the strongest language possible, wolves in sheep's clothing, men devoid of the spirit, irrational animals, shepherds feeding themselves, blots and blemishes. Are you getting the picture? An apathetic and worldly-minded church is the perfect breeding ground for false teachings to thrive. And this is exactly what scripture predicts for the last days. The church seems to be teeming with deceivers who have the natural ability to look good on the outside while they are inwardly full of deception and corruption. The type of teaching Christians subject themselves to is of extreme importance because what we believe plays a huge part in the way we live our lives. And our behavior is what determines our eternal destinies. One of the reasons false teachings have been able to flourish in the American church is because it has become an enterprise system functioning in a similar way as show business. Just like talented musicians, actors, and broadcasters tend to rise to the top in the entertainment realm, so do gifted preachers, writers, and Christian music artists in the church. Venues such as radio, television, and the internet have made it possible for the Christian community to have access to the very best music, 
the most gifted preaching and the most interesting talk shows. Any talented, charismatic, and ambitious Christian can forge a very successful career in the American church. The Christian public's fascination with charisma and talent has opened the door for a very subtle deception to creep into the church. The danger we face is not so much from teachers who reject the orthodox teachings of Christianity. The deception in the church today is more subtle than that. It comes from preachers who water down the fire of true Christianity. It comes from teachers who refuse to confront worldliness, carnality, and even sin. It comes from authors who explain away clear-cut biblical warnings about sinful behavior. It comes from musicians who offer exhilarating performances that elicit devotion to themselves rather than to God. When Jesus sought disciples to himself, he didn't go on a talent search to find the most capable communicators. He sought men who would deny themselves for the sake of others. He went looking for those who would serve him rather than using ministry to serve themselves. He wasn't interested in talent. He was interested in brokenness, humility, and sacrificial love. The attributes of Christian leadership are those the Lord laid down in the Sermon on the Mount. The first characteristic of a citizen of his kingdom is poverty of spirit, the very opposite of the person who's full of himself and his talents. Rather than celebrate his accomplishments, he mourns over the fact that he isn't more like Christ. Rather than living a purpose-driven life, he walks in the meekness of someone who only does what God tells him to do. Rather than being satisfied with an outward image of righteousness, he hungers for a righteousness that cleanses the heart. Rather than being preoccupied by what the world offers, he lays his life down in mercy for those in need. Rather than causing strife with others, he brings a sense of peace into every setting. In God's economy, talent is secondary to Christ-like character. Someone once said that our giftings often serve as God's rivals. There is much truth in that statement. This is why a person's talent typically must be put to death before the Lord can accomplish much good out of it. Now let me get back to the issue of false teachers. Since the Christian community has, by and large, traded godly attributes for human talent, we have made it possible for gifted influencers to be given positions of prominence. While we do expect such people to keep their behavior and teachings within the framework of the primary tenets of the faith, we allow a great deal of latitude to go unchecked beneath the surface. There is one more tendency American Christians have that should be noted. Paul described the atmosphere in the church of the last days when he told Timothy, a time will come when some will no longer tolerate sound teaching. Instead, they'll live by their own desires. They'll scratch their itching ears by surrounding themselves with teachers who approve of their lifestyles and tell them what they want to hear. They will turn away from the real truth because they prefer the sound of fables and myths. He was describing the Christian community that we call home, dear ones. Let's face it, our flesh wants the easy path. 
We prefer teachers who will flatter us about how godly we are and promise us a comfortable Christianity that fits in rather nicely with our American prosperity. The life of self-denial that Jesus called for from his followers is not what Americans want to hear about. Forgiving those who have hurt or offended us, humbling ourselves with those around us, incorporating a meaningful daily devotional life, sacrificing our comforts and pleasures for the sake of those in need, and actually treating with love those who have despitefully used us are not the sort of things we had in mind when we signed up to be followers of Christ. And this is precisely why the church doesn't have the spiritual discernment to detect the subtle falsehoods Satan has woven into postmodern Christianity. That kind of discernment does not come cheaply. It is only for those who truly walk with Christ and are willing to live the life he laid down for his followers. Live the Christ life and your eyes will be open to see what is going on around you. Okay, let's try to connect this to our daily lives because it absolutely does. Think about it this way. If you attend a church that's solid and biblical, fervent and devoted, you're going to be presented with a really strong view of what it means to be a Christian. Every week, you're going to be challenged, encouraged, convicted, rebuked, and humbled, etc. And so if you really embrace the lifestyle that is presented in that church, you are bound to grow and to mature. But if your church is lukewarm, compromised, unbiblical and worldly, you're going to be presented with a weak, powerless view of Christianity that basically allows you to live however you want, along with all the painful consequences. Remember, Jesus said that when we continue in his word that we'll know the truth and the truth will liberate us. So if we're not given the truth, which a false teacher by definition does not give, how will we receive the liberation that we need? So as I was considering how to structure this episode, I decided to talk with about 20 men who are currently in our residential program and also record an interview with two of our staff members. I did this because each of these men came to Pure Life because they were bound up in sexual sin. They had not yet been liberated by the truth. And it's definitely possible that this was because they had not been given the truth. Maybe the representation of Christianity they received in church was actually a lie. I asked them questions about the churches they attended, the kinds of messages they heard, the impression of Christianity that they had, etc. But here's where it got difficult. Because when someone is habitually indulging in sin, he's being internally changed by that sin. The deceitfulness of sin is working in his inner man, making it very difficult for him to perceive truth the way he should. So I wanted to be really careful in the way I presented some of what I heard. I don't want to give the impression that the church is the reason 
why these men were in sin, as if they're simply victims. At the same time, though, I wanted to have an open mind to some of what they said about their experiences in the church, because what happens at church absolutely shapes the way we view God and Christianity, which in turn shapes the way we live. All right, that's enough about that. I'll be playing parts of the conversation I recorded with Patrick Hudson and John Tabiri, two of our staff members, and I'll be making some comments as we go. The first question that I asked the students and staff was about their overall experience with some of the churches they had attended in the past. And there was a lot of variation in the responses I received. Some had attended solid churches. Others said that their churches seemed more interested in like a self-help gospel or even the prosperity gospel. But there was a bit of a common theme with many of the students. They didn't remember being strongly convicted about the life they lived, and they don't remember a call to repentance. The church I grew up in was pretty solid, I think, doctrinally. But what I remember from, actually more from the youth group messages, was just like a lot of teaching about the historical facts. So you'd learn a lot of anecdotes about what the culture was like or about the different laws and the Old Testament and all that. And so there wasn't a lot of confrontation. And it actually really developed a lot of pride in my heart. Like I started to know stuff and I would know more than other people who went to other churches. And so it, yeah, it didn't confront my sin. It actually kind of ended up building it up because no one was ever kind of really talking about the truth. The church that I was going to, I got... I went to a discipleship ministry for drugs and alcohol, and then after that, I knew that the church back home that my brother was a pastor at was a solid church, and just like was raised in that, like just knowing like that this is solid. I ended up leaving that church with my um my brother because I was doing a lot of Christian hip hop outreach and just like. The church I was involved with in the city, another church I befriended, they really were like using my talents and kind of in the topic of what we're talking about here and what you opened up with that. There wasn't really looking at the character and how I was living. It was just that I can bring something to the table and I can outreach people and bring congregants and bring, yeah, just a following. Again, remember that the church you attend shapes your view of Christianity, what's important, what is required, and what isn't. That's what I asked about next. When we wanted to bring people into the church, it's get the kids involved. We had a huge music program. Get the kids involved in choir and handbells and the musicals, doing service projects for different you know, world missions groups and stuff like that, fundraisers. So as I was thinking about it, it's like, yeah, if it, if someone came in to the church and got in the culture and started doing all the stuff, it's kind of like they skipped the whole part where they needed to actually be converted. And like all, like, I don't remember any, you know, times where someone would say like, yeah, I got saved. I gave my life to Jesus. It was just oh, we got to get them in choir. We got to get them doing stuff. So I guess what when I think about all that, what it means to be a Christian, it's just kind of the 
the actions and the doing and the service and the the reality of someone's life in Christ and kind of forsaking their their worldliness kind of didn't matter at all. Yeah, I would say that church um, that I was going to was very much like a lot of people from like backgrounds of maybe criminal activity, maybe drugs and alcohol, maybe just many type of like outward sins that were very obvious. And there it was kind of like your like newness of life almost was like, I'm not doing those things anymore. Hmm. So what that really triggered was that a lot of like, I feel like even in like the sexual immorality realm and like those things, if you were struggling, like it wasn't a huge deal because you're not like as deep as you were in the world before. Hmm. That was where I really got this idea that this is just the process of my salvation with the Lord and I am getting better while all along like things weren't changing, but I'm being affirmed that I'm doing well. Hmm. So that was a big thing there. There was some commonality between what Patrick and John just shared and what I heard from the students. It seems like the impression that many of them got was that Christianity was mainly about what you do, whether that's being part of the church community or serving in some way, doing good works, or having a certain standard of outward behavior. And it's not that those things are untrue, but what we have to realize is that so often false teaching is not a matter of outright lies, but simply that a part of the truth has been left out. And usually it's the part that is uncomfortable and confrontational. But without the whole truth, we are very vulnerable to the spirit of Babylon, and we will not receive what we need to be liberated from our sins. In eighth grade, when I responded to an altar call, and I really believe, and in ninth grade, when I really believe the Lord revealed himself to me in a very real way, but by the time I was 20, in my 20s, you know, I just, full of pride, full of anger, full of depression, and just thinking I was the best thing out there, and, but just really, really empty, and I think that came from just because I wasn't hearing the truth, because no one was confronting me. It sounds weird, right? Like, I, I heard all the stuff about love and, you know, grace or whatever, but because there was no confrontation to the sin in my life, I just, I didn't know the real Jesus. I didn't know God in reality, and it left me very, very empty. Okay, pay attention, because here's where things really start to break into the nitty-gritty of the daily life for someone who's bound up in sexual sin. Sexual addiction is really damaging, and the consequences can be horribly painful. So what do we do? We look for something that will set us free. But if we're not getting the truth, then we reach out and grab hold of a bunch of lies. I talked to the guys in the program about what kinds of lies they believed that kept them in their sin. 
and there was a big variety of responses, but the common denominator was this, I am a victim. One guy believed that his sin wasn't his fault because of what had happened to him when he was young. One said he believed that he couldn't get free until he dug around in his past to heal old wounds. One believed that his sin was there to keep him humble. Now, all of that was somewhat predictable to me. But what Patrick and John shared next was really interesting. I had asked them if they unwittingly ever latched onto a false teacher online. I didn't really like listen to a lot of online stuff, but I listened to a ton of music. Like I said earlier, was totally absorbed in worldly entertainment. And so I just, there's so much spiritual stuff out there and I would just gravitate towards anything that seemed spiritual or had an element of truth in it. And when I was kind of reflecting on this, it's like, there, especially in the like mid-2000s maybe when I was uh, like a teenager, like there were a lot of bands out there with really like emotional and like life is hard. There's a lot of pain inside right. you, but it's okay. Like it's going to get We're gonna better. We're going to make it. Yeah. And it just, that kind of, I call it like squishy love, like, and, and really cheap grace, like just was it everything that I held on to because it gives you kind of, it gives you an emotional release, like kind of like a high, like in that moment, listening to that song or listening to that one line of a message, you really like, oh, I feel better in this moment, but then it doesn't last. A big thing for me was hip hop and I was like addicted to it. Like I listened to like every Christian hip hop album that I could find nonstop, like always had it on. And I was very much influenced by that. Whatever these guys are saying, like, this is real, this is real, this is real. And then if I saw a guy I didn't really agree with or something came out, then kind of like cancel him and my and like in what I listened to, but I really exalted those as well, like just hip hop artists. That was so fascinating to me because I realized that, oh my goodness, people are being taught about Christianity in so many different ways. It isn't just from the pulpit, it's from the Christian music industry and the Christian movie industry, from social media channels and merchandising. A false teacher is anyone who gives a false representation of what true Christianity is all about, whether that's someone in a pulpit, someone singing with a guitar, or someone posting something on social media. Without the truth, we're wide open to begin believing lies. And so I asked the guys to look back and identify some of the things that they had believed that the Lord exposed as false teaching. Everything. <laughs> I'm. I mean, I. I definitely could say that on a number of things. I, from the simplest things, like simplest, but like some pretty common things, like evolution or abortion or homosexual. Uh, you would start to embrace all of that. Oh yeah. yeah, like I grew up in a conservative church, but in you know eight years, ten years time was just like whatever, whatever goes, as long as you say, like, I follow Jesus. But the one thing that I can really, like, talk about for myself, just that idea of, like, cheap grace, false grace, like, yeah, just that everything is okay, and it doesn't matter who I am or what I do. 
I mean, I didn't, a lot of times when people come to Pure Life and you listen to a Pure Life testimony, they're like, I tried everything before I came here. I didn't try everything because I didn't know that what I was doing was wrong. Yeah. Mm. Um, until I was confronted about it. And then I came here and it's it's like there wasn't any one thing that changed me. It was just I began to get out of all of that stuff that was coddling my emotions and not telling me what I needed to hear. And I started to hear truth preached and sit um, you're just constantly absorbing truth, but then like eventually just like studying the word every day for myself and just absorbing it. And you start to hear the Lord speak. Like I, it's, you know, I listen to messages or I read the Bible or I pray and it's not, it's not all that stuff that the world is saying. It's like, I'm really communing with God and hearing his voice. And as I hear him, he cleanses me. And it's, so it's not like one day I heard something where it's like, oh yeah, false grace is like a lie. It's just it, the Lord transformed and renewed my line, my mind, just like he promises to do in his word mm. as I've, yeah. And it's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Like, that we got three of us right here that because I'm also on that same boat that I didn't fight at all before I came to pure life. And the thing that I really believe was that, you know, sanctification is a process. And my distorted view of it was if I'm just doing better than I was last year or if I'm improving in little ways, even if it's over a long period of time and I'm still given over pretty much. I didn't see it that way, that I'm actually being sanctified and I'm I'm getting closer to the Lord and I'm just, you know, I'm getting better. And um, I didn't really believe that 100% before because I came out of a solid teaching that taught me that those things weren't true. But over time of going to other churches and really getting involved in other teachings and nobody was confronting me, I was getting hollowed out and I didn't, I forgot, almost forgot everything I was told before that well, how I was living was leading me to death. Mm. And I ascribed to these new ideas. And the scripture, when I came to the program here after just, you know, my sin got exposed and my pastor, the senior pastor and my brother, the associate pastor had confronted me pretty much all over again about how I was living because I had got exposed to them. And I came to the program here and there was actually a scripture that, I read in counseling that my counselor had me read, and it really hit me about where I was with the Lord. And it, the Second Timothy three one through seven, and I'm reading this out of the New American Standard Bible, says, "But realize this: that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant." revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious, gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of God, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these." 
For among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women, weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And that scripture really hit me because I'm like, wow, this really describes me and I do love pleasure and I don't love God. And that was just so black and white to me at that point. So all the ideas of like me being sanctified and me growing closer to the Lord just were thrown out the window because I'm like, this is the truth right here that I can't be, I can't love pleasure and love God. So that was like a reality check for me. There was one final question that I asked some of our students. So what was it that changed you? Because remember, all of these men grew up in church So what made the difference? And nearly every one of them talked about having an experience with God in his word. That there was something about coming face to face with God in the word that transformed them. One told me that when he read the prodigal son, he realized for the first time that his father really wanted him to come home. Another realized that he had thought he had been hearing God's voice for so long, but that his experiences didn't line up with the unfailing truth of God's word. Another said that he realized he didn't have a godly sorrow that led to life, but a worldly sorrow that was leading him to death. In each case, though, it was a personal encounter with a holy God in his holy word. I finished up the discussion with John and Patrick by talking about how they had experienced the Lord in his word. I would say that that was huge for me in the program, like having to be led by the Lord personally, because I always held on to the coattails of men before, but then, and just always what others believed. And I didn't even really read the word for myself. I probably read the commentary part on the bottom of the Bible more than I read the top of the Bible. It was almost like backwards. And yeah, I think just getting in the word and just seeing what it says for yourself, it really does help because no matter what somebody's telling you, if you're looking at what Jesus is saying and you're looking at what the Lord is saying through scripture, you're going to get the truth. So yeah, just even like the morning Bible times, I remember my counselor just had me literally read like the whole Pentateuch, (laughs) like just (laughs) spend, like you'd spend this much time on Genesis every morning for your quiet time, do this, do this. And I was like, man, I'm getting hit with so much truth. And I'm like, I didn't even know this was in the Old Testament. <laughs> right. And like there are parts in the law that were describing everything that would have happened to me if I would have died of my sin. I'm like, oh, wow. And, you know, and just even got to do some of that with the Gospels. And yeah, that really did a renewing in my mind. It's just, it was the willingness to really get into it for myself, though. Like whatever anybody else told me and tried to guide me, it didn't wasn't really doing anything because a man's words can't renew me. It was only going to be from the word of God and from, you know, crying out to him. So really for me, it was a willingness to dive yeah. into it. And also I did read the word of God before, so it wasn't just going to it for intellectual knowledge to win an argument or to be able to say, I know what's right, but to really, I want to know the Lord. Yeah. So that's good. Yeah. I, I, it's hard for me to explain it because it's so personal, but I do know that like back in the day, I remember I used to drive through this desert 
um, to get to work. And I remember like pulling over one time and just like crying out to the Lord. And it felt like, cause I was so miserable and it's like, I was longing for something that was out there. Yeah. And now I don't feel that way. Like I still struggle with things, but he's here and he is like so intimate and so personal. And the more I study the word of God, the more intimate and the more personal it becomes. And even we were talking a couple months ago and you were like, you just need to understand the mercy and the love of God more. And so it's like, okay, every morning I started waking up and I just look at another verse of the Bible where it uses the word mercy, Mm. um, or in my Bible it says steadfast love, but just that Hebrew word hesed, and I just kept studying it, and it's like all of a sudden like just like this overwhelming like flood of seeing who he is has, I don't know, just recently been overwhelming me, but also in the stuff that I've been dealing with personally, like it's been reshaping me and protecting me and guiding me and helping me and that's and i just i believe that that's going to continue in greater and greater ways the more i know him personally and the more i know him personally through his word so what do you do with this episode I'm not really trying to get anyone to begin analyzing the church that they attend, although maybe some of you are realizing that you're not getting the truth in your church. The point is that we have to realize that one of Satan's greatest strategies to lure us away from a vibrant, transforming relationship with God is to bring us into contact with teachers that do not tell us the truth. And there are many of them. That's just the facts of where we're at in American evangelicalism, and we have to face it. So the call then is to personally know the Lord through his word, not to rely on someone else, not to just accept whatever we're told in church or on the radio or in a Christian movie, but to be intimately acquainted with the truth of God's word for ourselves so that when we're faced with a lie, we see it. Now, the decision to study, meditate, and learn God's word is going to require sacrifice. We'll have to reprioritize things in our lives, and we'll have to be dedicated. But what other option do we have? without the truth, will never be free. Well, that's it for this episode of Purity for Life. Thanks again for joining us for our current series, Babylon, the Seat of Satan's Power. We'll see you next time. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs and powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.